Hey, it's Ben, and this week erupted into a discussion about what we look for in starting characters and where we are when creating them as experienced players. It turned into a really interesting discussion. There was a few sidetracks in there that I honestly, I just liked, but they were short enough to keep in. Have faith. We do come around to the topic again. I do want to thank our patrons and everyone who's talking about us on Twitter and Facebook and Reddit. It's it's really fun to see, and it's also really great to see the discussions that are happening on our Discord community. So thank you all. And if you do want to kick us a coin or two to your podcasters, you can find us at patreon.com slash the Hydean way. Thank you. And now onto the show. Seeing the fog going down in this apparently abandoned base, seeing the Imperial Deuterus of an invasion in supposed cleanup. Alright, everyone. There's supposed to be heaters and equipment out here. All to it now. Go forth. Scavenge. Go forth and scavenge. Go forth and scavenge. You're one to talk, sitting in your nice, warm cockpit. What are we scavenging? It's snow. And is that a probe droid? Aren't they supposed to explode? Only if you shoot them just right. Uh, Ben, is this one of your probe droids, or is someone else horning in on your lucrative ice cube salvaging operation? Why did I sign up for this? Mustafar, Geonosis, Seleucami. Next time, we go somewhere nice, where I can get a drink, something unhealthy and roasted, and spend some of this fine, um, ice cube money? I keep telling you. We need to head to the most magical, funnest, wonderful, and happy place in the galaxy. Port Haven. Port Haven. Welcome to a cool episode of Tales from the Hydean Way. I'm your host, Ben Yindel, with special guests... Leslie Troutman. Mr. David Pickering. Adam Beltane. And Mikey Nicholsmith. Nicholsmith. This week... I have a wonderful group of co-hosts on, and I'll get the four of you to introduce yourselves because I don't think I can do any of you justice. So let's start off with David, because you've been here the longest. Uh, Well, I'm David, and uh, I have been here the longest. Oh <laughs> uh, no! Thank you, David. Very succinct. <laughs> I'm David. I, uh, I I did tales for a long time. Starting, I don't even remember what year I started. Uh, ben asked me and Joshua to start about the same time, and uh, it was my foot in the door of podcasting, and I will forever be grateful for that. As much as people on the internet are probably sad that I'm inflicted on them now. Lies. <laughs> Uh, should I keep going? <laughs> okay, so Leslie next? I'm Leslie. I've been around too. I'm a hero. Woo! Currently and not currently. Uh, I've done this show several times. Just spread the joy. Or, well, I, my own entertainment. Hopefully it comes off as joy. (laughs) You're having fun. That's the important part. I certainly am. Mm -hmm. Uh, My name's Adam. I am from the Force Majeure podcast. You hopefully know who I am by now, having been crashing several of these these last few episodes. Uh, I hope you're not sick of my rambling nonsense just yet. There is still plenty more rambling nonsense to come. So buckle up, buddy. (laughs) Also buckle up for today's game, which will be called Who's Laughing? Is it David or Adam? Yes! (laughs) Yes! <laughs> there will be a, uh, a prize for the winner, whoever gets the most identifications, right? That's <laughs> assuming we can tell the difference. <laughs> yes! I'm not keeping track. <laughs> yeah, this sounds like maybe a Patreon reward thing where... Yeah. <laughs> to go through I a timestamp at every time I laugh, just... <laughs> yeah. 
At this rate, it's just going to be the first person who gives an answer wins. <laughs> <laughs> Who's laughing now? Everybody. Let's be honest. We all win. We're all winning tonight. This is good stuff. <laughs> this, is, this is gold. Sure. This is the episode. This is just us laughing at each other. <laughs> but hark, there is yet another voice. Hi, I'm Mikey. I've not been here the longest. In fact, this is my first ever Tales. I'm from the Force Majeure podcast, so there's now two of us. <laughs> oh, welcome. Hi. Yeah, you've, got, you've got troublemakers from two different Let's Plays in the same room. <laughs> yeah. I note the accent usurpation. And I've GM'd most of you? Not Mikey, though. No, no. I was, I, I was there when you GM'd my wife, but you have GM'd right. my wife. <laughs> I was there. The day. <laughs> Ben GM'd his wife. <laughs> I, I'm not sure she was my wife at the time, but she is now, so that's the important part. That is the important part, yes. Mm-hmm. So, at least to start off with, since the four of you are very experienced with role-playing games, one of the things that I love hearing from players is, how do you start creating your character, whether it's for a one-shot or whether it's for something you know is going to go on for a long period of time. Since I am habitually the GM, like the longest character that I've actually played that was an actual character and not just background NPC, I think was just for a one-shot in the last several years. You've got Raimi or Vrebo, but they're decidedly background characters, so they can't really steal the scene much. Mm. Well, you know what that means, don't you? Season four of Heroes, someone else needs to GM. <laughs> <laughs> That's a theory, yeah. Like you need you need to get other people to GM for you. Throw things at them, mm-hmm. break into their house and just hurl dice at them. They'll wake up to find you <laughs> perched at the foot of their bed like some kind of giant raven, who and just like run me a game. GM screams against them. Screaming, roll initiative. So on one hand, I'm not in favor of this, but on the other hand, it would mean that I'd get to meet Ben in person. So... <laughs> uh, yeah, we were making all these plans to have, like, a con meetup this year, and then coronavirus happened. <laughs> this was going to be the year. Con crud rolled a critical. Because we were seriously looking at trying to get everyone together at PAX Unleashed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that what it's called? It's Unplugged. Unplugged. I like Unleashed. Pax Unleashed sounds very cool. If we're honest, yeah. If if we do make Pax Unplugged happen, it's going to be, that's that's our our meetup is going to be Pax Unleashed. (laughs) Everybody wear your favorite Star Wars shirt. If we're going to Pax Unleashed, I have to wear a Sam Witwer t-shirt. That would be perfect. Isn't he Superman? I did. I saw this thing. Somebody on Twitter posted this thing. And it was basically like, I hate the character design of 2010's like, video game leads. And it's four pictures, three of which are just fictional character designs from like uh, Injustice. And it's all these guys with buzz cuts. But the fourth one is literally just Starkiller. And someone tags <laughs> Sam Witwer and he's like, apparently you're poorly designed. <laughs> I mean. And he's like, I mean, take it up with my parents, man. <laughs> Fair enough. I have no context for this. Uh, <laughs> Sam Witwer played Starkiller, the main character from The Force Unleashed, which was came out in 2010. And he happens to be a guy with like a very short haircut in that game. And all the other characters that came out around that time, they tended to be white guys with buzz cuts because hair is hard to animate. I mean, fair enough. Also, yeah. Sam Witwer has a very, very emotive face. He does. If you see him in something else, it's scary it almost looks like cg sometimes and it's a very emotive voice he's he's the clone wars voice of maul and he sometimes does palpatine yeah yeah Yeah. isn't he superman am i crazy i'm crazy why do i know his name sorry i'm asking the fount of wisdom (laughs) google yes i always find maul a bit strange because uh, the original voice was peter serenowitz who is a um, a British um, actor who was in Shaun of the Dead. Uh, isn't it Sarah Finowitz? I, I always pronounce it incorrectly. It's fine. I feel like uh, you're missing a, the, the man's name is like 12 letters long. It is. It is. So <laughs> Peter, it. 
I like to call him Peter because um, I it's can't easier. His surname. Um, he has got a very distinct voice, and it's not quite the same as Sam's voice, so it always takes me out yeah. of it. Too. Oh, okay. Uh, there's a, a, a wonderful episode of Back Black Books where he just growls at the camera, and that always. <laughs> I know that episode. <laughs> I always just assume there's some part of Zabrak vocal anatomy that's like below the point of Obi Wan cutting it off, so his voice changed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In the Phantom Menace, I barely remember Maul talking. So I think he has one line. It's um, yeah. something like "Soon we will have our revenge" or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Nah, it's like, so, have a go, Obi Wan. Come on, bring it. <laughs> <laughs> so suddenly I'm, he's from uh, a different location as well. Well, that's why they, that's why they dubbed him because I mean that's that's Ray Park. They did like a, a Dave Prowse, Dave Prowse sort of thing, did they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Sam Witwer has pretty much become the voice of Maul. Like, even when Maul showed up in Solo, mm-hmm, yeah. got Ray Park back, then they had Sam Witwer do the uh, voice for him. It's like, mm. So, other than The Phantom Menace, it's always been Witwer. I think it's funny that now, and it may just be an issue of, like, it's cheaper uh, to hire a voice actor than to hire someone who's in Hollywood, but most of the, like, ancillary stuff, the voices are the same people from Clone Wars rather than the people from the movies. I don't know. In a lot of cases, it's now they know how to take the direction better. Yeah, I mean, that's possible too because I've been playing Battlefront 2 a lot this week because I've been on a huge <laughs> Star Wars kick. And that's, you know, it's it's oh, Bradley Baker for the clones and all the different yeah. voice actors from the Clone Wars are voicing their perspective characters. Then also you've got Steve Plum in there as all the different Stormtroopers because you <laughs> yes. like him for Stormtroopers. Yeah. I like Steve Blum in general, so I'm not going to complain. <laughs> I mean, the thing I find hilarious is I have not seen the two main things that Steve Blum is widely famous for. Bebop and uh, yeah, uh, X-Men? I have to see Bebop and, yeah, X-Men. Okay. Unless we're talking like the 90s X-Men. Well, that's when he was Wolverine. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, if you want a really good Blum movie, I will recommend the movie Cat in Paris. He plays a cat burglar. And it's very kind of, it's a it's a family-friendly cartoon released by G-Kids. It's phenomenal. And you get to sit there and listen to Steve Blum. Also, he does the <laughs> one of the main box trolls. He and, okay. is, is it Dee Bradley Baker? He oh, and another just... major voice actors were the box trolls. That and would be... They're phenomenal. phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. No. Also, very enjoyable film. I just remember the time on Twitter I was like idly musing about the fact I just realized that Obi-Wan Kenobi and Titus were the same person. And then oh, James yeah. Arnold Taylor like pops in. He's like, yeah, I was. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, James Arnold Taylor is <laughs> like great. the last person I expected oh, to comment yeah. on this. <laughs> he's he's well, a lot of fun. He was. He was very fun. I have an autographed picture of him somewhere that he signed Obi-Plo. <laughs> 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 what? Okay. Because he I, plays Plo Koon as well. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I know who that is because of the first season of Heroes. <laughs> <laughs> I had to learn then. I actually quite like, like the idea of Obi-Wan Kenobi's just very bad at pseudonyms. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he it's is. Like, yeah, he is. <laughs> He's just carrying yeah. that forward. I just keep thinking back to how Jim Cummings, another very prolific voice actor. Oh, yes. Who was the third hyena amongst many other things from The Lion King. Yeah. Lou's special power is being able to identify Jim Cummings in any role he plays just from hearing like the, a word. She go, yeah. Jim Cummings. I'm like, that's yeah, no, he's, impressive. Him and Frank Welker are like 85% of my childhood. Yeah. The thing that I just really want is, you know how there was a Christopher Robbins movie that mm-hmm. came out? Yeah. Where you've got Ewan McGregor's Christopher Robbins. And everyone was like, oh, hello, Pooh. Like, hello, General Kenobi. (laughs) I I just wanted that to be Hondo. I just really wanted it to be Hondo. Because it's the same voice actor. I didn't know that. (laughs) I I haven't watched the show enough to know Hondo, so. I'm Mm. Pooh Bear. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, bother. No, it doesn't work. (laughs) Well, what's, what's great is he's Pooh Bear, but he's also Tigger. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, then he's also, 
I think he's Don Carnage and Tailspin. I mean, he's everywhere. He's just he's just he everywhere. Is. Yeah, I, yeah, I once looked up his IMDb page. It's like 450 things long. Yeah, no, yeah. no, it's disgusting. Brilliant, prolific. Because I think my wife was to... like, "Why do I recognize his voice?" When we were hearing Hondo, and I was like, "Well, because he pretty much voiced everyone." <laughs> the place where I actually originally came into understanding who he was as a voice actor was him way back in the old D&D RPG days of him voice acting Minsk. Yes! No, I did not know that. Yeah. Yes. I didn't know that Minsk was in any context voice. Yeah, the original Baldur's Gate. I only very vaguely know who Minsk yeah. is. Yeah, Minsk and his little <laughs> miniature giant space hamster, Boo. Prepare for uh... butt kicking, for goodness! <laughs> Miniature yeah. and giant. Go for the eyes, boo. Go oh, for the eyes. Space. That was like the <laughs> best part. Yes. Of, of, of like the best random callback joke Mass Effect ever pulled was when you just, if you happen to not have noticed that your space hamster that you bought in Mass Effect 2 is wandering around the bottom of the Normandy in Mass Effect 3, and you get almost all the way to the end of the game, and you're like trying to board your ship to get it back from someone who's captured it, your space hamster will jump out at them, and you hear your guy just yell, Go for the eyes! (laughs) (laughs) But it's like this ridiculously convoluted set of circumstances you have to have had happen to make that happen. Wow nerds forever. Because if you find your hamster and put him back in his cage, then he doesn't do that. And if you didn't buy the hamster in the first place, it doesn't happen. Yeah, that sounds like Mass Effect 3. <laughs> like, so many convoluted things have to happen for any of the story to, like, pop. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. So what was right. the question, sorry? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea where we started this. Preparing this... for characters. Oh, and how, yeah. Like, how... What sort of preparation do you have for creating a character that you're wanting to play either in like a one shot or in a longer term game? Is there a difference? There is a difference. I'm I'm going to be flat honest, because if I'm doing a one shot, I'm more willing to try something completely stupid. Yes. And specific. If I'm doing a season or an extended thing, I like them to be a little better grounded. Mm hmm. Um, so it's it's basically, do I want to build someone with a big spiky forehead so I can headbutt things and, and, you know, and then flail and beat people to death with people that are attached to my head spikes? Or do I want to build somebody that can do things and maybe go the head spike route or maybe go the pilot route? It's hard to pilot when your head stick into the cockpit ceiling. <laughs> one shots can be around a single joke, whereas uh, more extended ones can have two or three jokes you can use. I, I understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll usually say something internally, like, if it's a one-shot, my thought is, okay, what's entertaining about this character? What's going to make them memorable? Mm. And that could kind of pull them into a much more caricature-ish personality or, or, you know, that's when you're running your, like, draw heavies or something. When I'm doing for a (laughs) longer-term campaign, I I start off from a place of, like, what is flawed about this character where are the rough edges that we can develop since a character doesn't remain interesting if they remain static yeah uh, to me especially like if i have a character mm-hmm. who stays the same the whole time i will get bored playing them i have in fact probably the opposite problem which i think is why Vurin changes what he's doing so much <laughs> i always find flaws far more interesting to role play than successes mm-hmm. and so the first thing i think of whenever i sell sell that set up a character is how that character is going to end so what would make a cool death scene for that character and then that gets me over their potential the the mortality of them especially in one one shots because Mm -hmm. doing something dramatic and dying in a one shot is amazing less so in a longer game but just sacrificing yourself for the greater good or to push the party to the next bit is, the greater is, good is what I is, is what I live for. All of my characters have planned planned death scenes in my head, and hopefully I can <laughs> hit that mark. When I'm going for a one shot over something a bit longer, I am I am much more inclined to go for the random joke. But I don't plan anywhere near that ahead for characters that I'm going to be playing in what is likely to be a longer running thing, because I just lose characters left, right, and center. Like when uh, I was saying earlier on. I used to do an awful lot of live-action role-playing. We played monthly. Over 12 events, I lost 15 characters. So I, I've 
had that shaken out of me, that long game. Because for all of those, I had this long plan of what I wanted to do and roughly where I wanted to go. Now what I do is I find a hook that makes me chuckle and I build on that hook for as long as it makes me chuckle. And when it stops making me chuckle, I find another hook or I'm dead. Right. Or both. And that's why you're dead. Yeah. Yeah. Or both. Now I've got a couple of ideas for characters that are a bit more serious for other stuff coming up. Certainly, I think that when I was prepping for Force Majeure and for Tychus, I put a bit more thought into his overall kind of story and his overall progression because running it for a podcast is different than running it for a, a home game in so many different ways. And one of the main mm, ones is that I, th- I think you're less likely to die in a podcast until it makes for compelling audio. That is one way of looking at it. I keep trying. <laughs> yes. But I think a gym is more likely to, to maybe fudge it a little bit in favor of keeping you alive, but, but messed up. So you've got that continuing mm. character arc growth, especially because a podcast is not just an investment for you. It's an investment for your listeners. And if they've right. put in 20 hours, 30 hours, even 10 hours of getting to know your character and your character dies on one bad dice roll, like I think everyone feels a bit cheated. It's one of the things I quite like mm-hmm. about the Star Wars system where it's quite hard to actually die. Yes. And that's where I do an awful lot of my gaming because mo- most of my playtime, certainly for season four at the moment, mm-hmm. because I tend to GM a lot more than I play at the moment especially so yeah i i just kind of what is making me chuckle there's a starfinder game coming up that i'm looking forward to playing and Ooh. my hook is i am a swarm of luminous space bees yeah. and that <laughs> that will hold me for months of play <laughs> i don't need anything more now you've said that you're going to die next week you know <laughs> inevitably at which point i will come in as something equally implausible somebody drops a smoke bomb at your center yeah <laughs> we all fall asleep it's my weakness. But yeah, I don't I don't fear character death and I don't plan further ahead than than my initial hook because I have been hurt too many times with grand It's why I, I don't plan builds. I don't kind of go, Hey, I found this interesting mechanical synergy that I want to try and see if it works out. Yeah, I kind of go by level five you might be able to be really powerful, but you may not get to level five, so there's a- <laughs> but I just, I just have this, this kind of thing that I want to give a try, and, and let's see where it, it, it comes from there. Yeah, I frequently will, will pull from. I, this is just probably how my brain works. But I, in addition to intentionally trying to think about like flaws, character growth, what can I do? I also always inevitably end up with like one or two just pictures in my head of things that I want. Like so. You just mentioned Starfinder. Uh, the game that I actually play in the most right now, because uh, my home group meets every Tuesday, and we'll do two weeks of one game and two weeks of another game and switch between GMs. So I'll GM one, and, and some of my other friends will GM another. Although right now I'm actually going into a season where I'm not GMing either one of them, so that will be fun. But the, the longest ongoing game I've played in recently is Starfinder. And the character I play in that Starfinder game, he's a, a Sheeran, so he's, a, he's an insect guy. And he's a technomancer, so he's a you know a kind of a technological wizard sort of character. But the character started with the, those two parts with me thinking, what what kind of flaws? And I was like, well, he's a technological wizard. So I came up with this idea that he spends a lot of time on like the space version of Reddit, essentially, and that he is he is very much kind of a hacktivist in the sense that he wants a lot of social change on the space station that they live on, but he doesn't actually have a plan for what to do when it happens. He just agitates. <laughs> and then it also came with the mental images of a Pink Floyd t-shirt that hasn't been washed in a while and like a cup, a plastic cup of, of Tang, of just like a gross, like I guess Tang's not gross, but like just really cheap, like he's drinking something weird. I don't know why these images come to me as I'm creating a character. I'm just like, oh, okay, well, he's definitely going to have a weird drink. And then it became Tang. He is a bug hacker who drinks Tang. And then at some point it came out during gameplay that he puts it in the coffee maker. So it's hot Tang. That's uh, not how it started. That's so, <laughs> really gross. Yeah. And then it just became a thing in the game. I guess what I'm trying to say is it starts with a couple of pictures in my head that create like a thematic core for how the character looks and their style, because that's very important to me. It's sort of what a character appears as with their visual 
and kind of their their style and panache. Like you know, Vurin has a very distinct look because I can't picture the character if I don't have that in my head very mm. firmly, and that's important to me. And then the the mechanical part where you're trying to figure out flaws and figure out like this, you know, maybe he's a bit overconfident or he's arrogant or he's very driven but not ready to think about the big picture or abrasive or something like that. Those form a core that then feeds back into the image of the character. So because he's, you know, he's so uh, such a hothead and he's not thinking long term, the character tends to, he wears very like brash clothing because he wants attention. He wants change. He wants something that is not the status quo, but it also harms him in the long run because the way that he presents himself prevents anyone from taking him seriously enough to actually yeah. change anything. It mm, makes a bunch of sense. Okay, this is a oddish question. How long a head of needing the character do you th- try and think of this stuff? I try to keep it pretty close to the game, to the session zero, because I find if I get too much of an idea of what I want to play, it becomes less playable because it's already become less a character I'm going to be creating and more a character I have already created. Yeah. Which means I'm I'm kind of pigeonholed. When I'm doing yeah. a character that I expect to be long term, like Kith, for instance, or or mm-hmm. Billy, um, I don't have a really concrete notion. I, I kinda wanna know one or two things they should be good at, a person or two they should have a connection with, whether it is maintained or in the past, and a launching point. Whereas if I'm creating like the the one shot, you know, I'll, I'll get down to his brother's name is Kevin. Kevin comes around every every Thursday and they have beers and play chess and, you know, stuff like that. But otherwise, it's kind of like point me in a direction and go and kind of fill out the holes that I find as I move. I find if I get too um, involved with the character before we start... Um, when I start playing the character, that might not actually fit with the ideas that I've had if I've written out a lot of things. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, in um, in the Force Majeure uh, game, before we started, Jiren, my character from Adam's game, was I was planning to speak in the third person, um, and it was going to be like, uh, Jiren says this and stuff like that. But but I uh, um, then we started, and Ross spoke first. And Ross was speaking in the third person. So I quickly had to scrub out everything on there and go on to something else. So I thought if I'd have developed too much into the way of that, then mm-hmm. that wouldn't have worked. Especially because you've got maybe three, maybe four other characters to play with as well. You can't really step on how they've set out their character because everybody has to have their own unique, different, different thing. So not too much, I would say. Not, not uh, just, just some key points and then, then go for it, essentially. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think if you, or at least with me, I always think of the the last step of character creation as playing the character with the group for the first time, because mm-hmm. that sets in stone a lot of who they are around other people. And I know from, from experience that if I spend too long thinking about a character before I play them for the first time with the group, they will crystallize and they will become very set in how I have imagined them. And it makes it very hard to keep them plastic enough to mesh with the group well. Mm. Oh, the, the, the reason why I kind of creased up there is I was thinking back again to, to my, my early days of LARP. I was playing um, Acromon Belte, the most terrible wizard in the country. Yes, in, in every sense of the word. And he he was just a mad, babbling wizard who was ferociously powerful, but so very, very distracted. And my friend Jeff, who is quite a, a, an austere, kind of re- refined fellow, he uh, he he'd written a, 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 another wizard character that he was planning on being this very erudite, very very serious kind of seeker into ancient secrets, and he was intending to play this very very serious seeker into ancient eldritch lore and um and deep magic. And he strode into the tavern with his long coat billowing and his staff of power clenched in one hand and he walked over and I was the first person he met and he and I said oh, hello oh, my name's Akramon Belzade most terrible wizard in Nastron who are you and he went hello I'm Magnus the Red I'm also a mad wizard <laughs> <laughs> damn damn damn, damn. I'm like, 
close oh your ten gosh. pages of backstory now, Chuckles. Gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this that that is another reason why I don't tend to write backstories to my characters because I've had me happen to other people's characters and I'm not giving anyone else that satisfaction. <laughs> don't give them the power. I happen to my own characters and there's a type. <laughs> like it, it's I've heard people joke like, oh, that sounds like a David character. I'm like, crap. Oh. It's happened again. Oh yeah. yeah, so many times we'll watch films. I have experienced this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. So I, I played Mazer, who was uh, sort of proto-Vurin in a game that Ben ran. And then I created Vurin. And you can hear it in the first few episodes of Trouble Brewing. I, I, I had such a different idea in my head of what Vurin would be. He would be so much like more hard-edged, slightly cruel, a little bit more like cutthroat. And then within like half an hour, it was just – he was back to be, you know <laughs> – friendly but weird and kind of like talks interestingly and it was just a very like the character that i always end up falling into when i haven't really practiced doing something else i think it's interesting that you're planning on being kind of harder edge and cruel when you're already going to be traveling with a giant robot teddy bear (laughs) and that was decided ahead of time but okay A, a giant robot teddy bear that you rescued yeah it it I'm glad it worked out the way it was and the way that it did, because I think Vorin is more interesting the way that he became. But I, I think I even said it like three or four times when we're playing. I'm like, man, this is so not what I was thinking this character would be like. But that's well, the great for, part. For one, you thought he was going to be cool. Yeah, I did think he was going to be cool when he ended up being a big dork. <laughs> I feel like that ship suffered from contact dork, though. <laughs> like anybody who spent an extended amount of time on that ship would just become a dork one way or the other. I mean, you're not wrong. Case in point, Vistrano. Cool, kind of edgy. Just one of us. One of us. <laughs> Vistrano is so much more like what I imagined Vorin actually being. <laughs> it's a good job you got Freebo to keep everyone on the straight and narrow. <laughs> yes. Yes, our pod racer. Oh, yeah. Straight and narrow. I mean, I loved having the pot on fire show up in Force Majeure, so got to somehow figure things out for Freebo to get pod racing. I think it's grand. <laughs> it's a life day present for Millen. Mm-hmm. We know you like to go. This guy knows you like to go fast. <laughs> Just three B, three B with a little pair of like goggles, <laughs> goggles, and one of those little leather hats. Just ears flapping in the breeze, clinging on like to their life. <laughs> How did we describe the pot on fire? It's built by somebody with no parental guidance. Flaming lagomorphs. Yep. I would go to that bar. Beow. Flaming light. I'm going to write that down for another. <laughs> <laughs> I also definitely tailor characters to a group, though. Oh, yeah. Um, if I can. Like, if I know who's playing, there are, from a practical perspective, I definitely want to create characters that are mindful of the personalities and the things that yeah. might be uncomfortable for the people in the group. Mm. So, like, obviously, from a safety perspective, you know, tailor your characters in that sense, but also mm-hmm. in a more fun way. Like if I'm very comfortable with the people that we're playing with and I've kind of, it's almost like improv acting in a way where it's like you worked with this person before, you know how their, their sense of humor, their mind, their like instincts work. It helps you in a very intangible way, figure out like, okay, these are choices I'm going to make because I know that no matter what happens, you know, it's going to mesh well with Leslie's character just because of our ability to go back and forth. Underneath the character level, we can amuse each other thoroughly. <laughs> well, it's, it's why I love playing with Mikey and Lou because I've been tabletopping with with you, Mikey, for what twenty years now, something like that, yes. and Lou for twelve, something like that, ten, mm-hmm. ten, eleven, twelve years. So yeah, we just we we know um, <laughs> we know what we what we generally how we play. We know what we can get away with. We know what hooks we can throw out there that other people will pick up, both for like comedy skits, but also yes. for um. Like like uh, plot hooks. I I know if I'm playing in a game and I can throw out X interesting backstory points as a as a character, that I know like Mikey and Lou will leap on that and help progress that forward, and we can we bounce well, off each other. So go going on to Force Majeure, uh, Tychus and Roy 
are an amazing oh. double act. And you were mentioning that you, <laughs> you did you didn't want to give anybody the opportunity to mess with your characters. Um, I'm fairly sure Tychus it was um, somewhat affected by his his good robot buddy. Yeah, yeah, I'd say. And the juice especially boxes. The, yeah, especially by the time of Ty- Tiny Tychus Adventures. Yeah. Uh, but that was also me um when 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 we're doing when we're doing force majeure and also to an extent when i'm like here now on tails i rarely go full adam full adam is a dangerous and frightening thing for people to see i tend to, to try to temper my natural whimsy and exuberance to levels <laughs> that i think people find acceptable with tiny tigers i I resonate with that so hard (laughs) i I released i released that a little bit further and and went a little bit further with him than i than i would on um on shadows for example because yeah (laughs) this this is a complete aside but adam we still because we've got a a newborn who's currently teething we still say she's not got teeth she's got a bony ridge which is something adam's (laughs) i wish i could do a scottish (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, but doesn't doesn't Mim sing your child to sleep with Tychus's lullabies from from? Oh Rob? yeah, yeah. No. Don't shoot people is a song we, uh, <laughs> we, we sing to the child. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! It's both soothing and an informative life lesson. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Do you all have to sit on your characters for a few days to make sure that you're still interested in them before you start writing the character sheet? Um. I kind of leave the character sheet right until last. Okay. So I'll have a character concept, and then maybe a day or two before the game, I, I try and fit that character concept into the rules. Because yeah. <laughs> rules are not as interesting to me as what fun I'm going to have with the character. So it, it's kind of... Mm-hmm. I, I in fact find it really frustrating if I've got a really good character hook, and then I play a game where I can't represent that hook properly and then i'm like ah oh, but i but this would be so fun and fit in so well with this group but but why can't i why can't i be a person who has a swarm of sentient rats that do their bidding <laughs> ah. <laughs> i can't like, play that character that could be yes. a little op yeah, in, in one of your games i believe in one of my games yes yeah hyper intelligent rats palating a mecca yes <laughs> Rat oh little mighty. pinky joe but yes i the only time that I tend to make the character sheet early is if I found an app that I like that helps me build characters, at which point I tend to go crazy building a load just to see how they work. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, then yeah. be all like, huh, I've got 19 uh, fifth ed characters, four Pathfinder second edition characters, and 27 Star Wars characters, all static. <laughs> all That's fake. what I did when I discovered Warhammer Fantasy's um, <laughs> random rolling husband. characters. Oh, they, yes. they actually, the newest edition... You can pick your character, career, and all of that, but if you roll them and, and keep the first result, you get bonus XP. <laughs> so Ooh. I was just like, what kind of characters can I come up with with complete randomness? And I think the first one I got was like a 15-year-old rat catcher whose uh, <laughs> defining characteristic was his glib tongue and his ability to just like talk his way out of anything. <laughs> it's like the most yeah. eloquent rat catcher in the world. <laughs> and, and you were playing this character, randomly yeah. rolled. <laughs> okay, so it wasn't just me who came up with that question. Yeah, that was the first one. The second character that I rolled out for it ended up being one that uh, I think I wish I could have played because he was like it was a um, a halfling because there's very low chance of rolling anything but human uh, in Warhammer Fantasy. It's like ninety percent chance of rolling a human. So I hmm. rolled up a halfling, but the halfling career he was I can't remember what it was, but he was some kind of thug. <laughs> so it's like a halfling mafia enforcer basically <laughs> I was like, oh that would have been so much fun to play threatening everybody from their kneecaps exactly less of a kneecapper more of a shin breaker <laughs> yeah bring, exactly. bring a stool with you just, just <laughs> carry it in climb on top you just hear it, excuse me <laughs> looking around like who's talking you look down and there's like a hobbit with an eye patch <laughs> A sock full of pennies. <laughs> Does anyone find that? I, I suppose you you were saying about this a bit earlier, but have any of y'all like gone? No, for this game, I I want to play something quite out of my comfort zone. I want to play like a serious, not edgy, but you know, 
restrained kind of character and then either really struggled to keep that up and and fallen out of love with the character quite quickly or like within half an hour of play going now nah, this is dull i'm changing that entirely they just had a hangover at the start really this is what because <laughs> i know i i've got one planned that, that i want to play quite seriously at some point but i'm really worried that this tragic person with their tormented backstory and their strong code of honour and code of conduct is going to immediately fall apart as soon as I open my mouth for the first time. That usually does happen, yeah. 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 Uh, they, the problem I find is not keeping to the character in itself. It's keeping to the character in a group. Because mm-hmm. if you've got a very serious character that you want to uh, talk about some some uh, a serious development and you're, you've got somewhere to aim for and everybody else is playing Boppo the Clown, then it's not going to work. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I found for me, I have found a way to play a more serious character that works for me because I know that I just have this like internal need <laughs> to snark or joke or say something that's like, you know, irreverent or funny. Uh, I can't just sit there seriously the whole time or I, or I just, all the things that I want to say just build in my head. So the character has to have some sort of release valve. And the last time I tried to play a serious character, it ended up working a lot like Geralt of Rivia where he, he was very serious, but he also just sort of like deadpan snarked and it went over the heads of a lot of the characters that he was talking to. Mm. Uh, And that was the only way I could do it because if I, (laughs) if I didn't say something to satisfy my own need to laugh at myself, (laughs) I was going to end up changing the character entirely. (laughs) In our second game um, for Force Majeure, I play a very serious, stoic uh, pilot, and the only way I can do that is keeping myself on mute most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Push to talk is the only way I can do a serious character. But that's sort of the holy grail for me, is to run a character who is all about like the serious, dramatic character development, who isn't the typical RPG character. Like, if you go on the internet and just look at, like, RPG stories, it's you know the classic example is the the bard who tries to seduce a dragon and we don't get that just like <laughs> we don't have that i don't get the horny bards i've never played with horny bards is it just an american thing what well, is see, this? i've never played with one either i think it's a, see, a tumblr thing i i think uh, it's it's a joke that's gone too far yeah. i've never it seen started it started off as a joke but i have played with a bunch of overly forward bards because charisma is played at being more sexual in nature it just i've been at tables where that's what the bard is instead of it being other variations i've only ever experienced it as like an internet thing but i believe you that it's it's real i think that kind of feedback loop where it's like it probably started in real life spilled onto the internet and that gave a bunch of other people ideas about what a bard should be like Mm -hmm. or what a bard could get away with i i feel like it's one of those things that's just, well, the bard can't fight, so obviously they've got to do something else, so this is going to be the funny pigeonhole. It's kind of like how the rogue is always the one who's backstabbing, stealing, and it you turn your back on the rogue and they're immediately emptying the pocket of like the shopkeeper or something like that. Yeah, it, it's just mm. a joke gone too far. Yeah, exactly. A lack of imagination, honestly, in my opinion. That too. Yeah. But yeah. As a GM, I also... When it happens in a game, when, when I've got someone who's doing something that's kind of disruptive like that, I do have to step back and take a look at it and say, is this happening because this person would do this regardless? Or is this happening because I am not providing challenges that keep this character entertained and doing what they're good at? If, mm. you know, if I had the horny bard happen, I would wonder, like, am I only creating combat encounters and leaving this poor social character with nothing interesting to do? So they're taking it out on me by you know, using their powers for evil, so to speak. Well, and the flip side of that is one instance where you also still have to provide the fighty characters with enough meat, like enough fight so that they're feeling useful. Otherwise you go into this great overly melodramatic negotiation scene. And the very first thing is the fighter pulls out their sword and stabs the leader of the group. Right. (laughs) That's, I think, why I fall back on crime scenes and murder investigations so much as a GM, because they always involve a little bit of both. Probably why the police procedural TV show has been around for so long. Just It, it contains enough drama, both in and out of action scenes, by the very nature of the kind of trope. 
It all cycles back to everybody's favorite uh, two songs for, for RPGs, though. Communication and Session Zero. <laughs> really? <laughs> Have this conversation up front. Are you going to play a game where a horny bard makes sense? Okay. Fine. Are you going to play a game where you're going to have three Bop of the Clowns and Grim Dark Fancy Pants? I don't know. You know, just have an, a, a context, a basic like mm-hmm. framework before you go in. Because if you don't know your, your game, you're not, I don't think you're going to have the opportunity to create a character you want to play in the situation you're going to be in. I have always preached session zero as a great thing, but it really never came home to me how much of a difference it can make until I ran vampire, the masquerade. <laughs> yeah. So we had a group and, and we, I, I, part of session zero, we, we decided, I mean, mechanically a session zero was basically a requirement for, for vampire. But outside of that, we decided that the players uh, were all going to be very new vampires and they were all going to be very, they had never met other vampires other than the vampire that created them. And it was kind of their first task as vampires and that they were all pretty antagonistic toward each other because none of them trusted each other at all. And without a serious amount of session zero time devoted to how do we play a a player party that is socially dysfunctional without actually becoming a dysfunctional group of people trying to do that and missing each other's social cues and, and failing to, understand when someone is play acting frustration and being frustrated and it ended up working out quite well but we spent i think we ended up having two session zeros because we had so much mechanically (laughs) that we needed to do and so much just as like a group thing that we needed to do i mean quite fair heck for hero series three we're actually having three session zeros and two of those are pretty much just on the force and how it is Mm -hmm. In conception and oh, with so mechanics. looking forward to listening to this. Yes, very, very much so. Edge of the Empire, I think, is where my personality and my instincts are most naturally at home. But Force and Destiny is where my fascination is. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of the same with that. I think Edge's, Edge's probably suits itself better for my GMing style. But I just really wanted to to play with the Force. I just think it's it's a that that is one of the things that for me makes Star Wars quite unique because there are other games out there where you can play smugglers and scoundrels and aliens doing nefarious shenanigans mm-hmm. uh, and fighting the power, but there's very few of them where you can be you know intergalactic space wizards connected by this power that unites all things. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, it's it's a very uniquely Star Wars thing. I mean, when I think of Star Wars, a lot of the time the first thing that comes into my head is the the like little force trill musical sting that plays whenever someone discovers the force for the first time. I think that's one of the things that has me so excited with uh, C series three is that the force is such a big part of star Wars and we've like, sure we've had Matt too, but we've really danced around a lot of the actual implications mm-hmm. of the force and a lot of the actual forcey type stuff. And this is going to be, the adventure itself from the book is something much more deep in the effects of what happens when you have no empathy. Mm-hmm. And how does that show to the characters that come after? I I think, for me, you've definitely run them in the right order. Because mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> for, for, for Force and Destiny generally, and I think especially for Chronicles of the Gatekeeper, you kind of almost need that pre-existing relationship that you have built up, that like, and the royal you, the heroes have built up over, like, season two, and in some cases, like, two season one and season two, because it it goes to some very deep and very, very hard places to kind of get your head around, and I think that if you if you don't have that that relationship already existing. I mean, this is maybe me just talking waffles, but if you don't already have that kind of relationship a bit existing with some of the topics that come up in Chronicles of the Gatekeeper, I think it would make for a... You know, I think you probably could run it just with a pickup group, but I think you'd miss a lot of the deeper aspects to it, if if you get me. I absolutely get that. I can absolutely see taking Chronicles of the Gatekeeper with a pickup group. I could probably run it through in... 
don't know, eight, ten sessions. And we'd have a huge amount of fun. It would be great. but And it would be epic and all that sort of stuff. But it would essentially be a bunch of boffos. Whereas the four people who I've got on Heroes, like Leslie, Christine, Brandon, Brandon, they've all been prepared for this is going to be a bit of a gut check with how I'm hoping to run it. And that's the world that they're going into, that the characters are what they're bringing. And I know each and every one of them is going to do an amazing job. I love Force stories, especially Force and Destiny, like the way that it leads into it with its uh, morality mechanic. As It's like a morality tale, but it's got a, a, a different framework. It kind of takes it out of a lot of the things that weigh down real world morality tales where people get hung up on a specific issue um, mm-hmm. that's relevant to the real world. And in star Wars, you can really examine a gray area in the star Wars universe uh, without some of the baggage that weighs down trying to group examine something that's real. And some of the best Jedi stories I think are the ones where a Jedi realizes that that sort of like hard line black and white morality that the prequel Jedi order preaches is not necessarily applicable to all situations. And you have to confront darkness and decide what you need to do with it personally outside of anybody's dogma or, you know, rules basically. See, I love that approach. I love that idea to it, but there's also something like I'm, Rewatching Deep Space Nine at the moment because uh-huh. reasons. And one of the episodes <laughs> I just finished watching yesterday is it's called Waltz. And it's a season six episode where you've just got Goldicott and Benjamin Sisko sitting on a planet. The entire end of it is in the end, the real world is essentially shades of gray and no one's ever really completely in the right no one's ever really completely in the wrong but every now and then you run into someone who is absolute evil Mm -hmm. and then the question is what do you do about that i love taking the grayness because so much of what makes a force exploration interesting and making characters in a force exploration interesting is exploring the grayness of it and then every now and then showing them someone who is at their darkest and what do they do with it is this someone like vader that you can have a chance of showing the pathway to the light or is this someone like our wonderful friend Shivi, that <laughs> no matter what you do, they're as evil as can be. Did they fall or did they saunter vaguely downwards? <laughs> right. <laughs> this is, I mean, it's no longer canon, but the old Legends um, book, Darth Plagueis, uh, it deals a lot with Palpatine's origins, which is a story I'm content if canon never actually wants to tell. Um, he, he's almost just a personification of evil. He doesn't have to have a, a very detailed backstory in my opinion, but I liked that uh, even in his legends backstory, he started off having taken a lot of steps down that road before he even met the Sith that would tip him over it. Mm-hmm. It was yeah, just he- sort of, it was really easy to get Palpatine to flip for entirely believable reasons. He, he walks into it with his eyes open, knowing full well what he was doing. And, um, I, I weighing up the cost and being prepared to pay it. Whereas Anakin mm-hmm. just was a goon. <laughs> you I know? Mean, yeah. Yeah. Poor, poor impulse control, badly taught, um, carrying around a load of baggage and just with no emotional support whatsoever from the people that he most needed it from. Yeah. Yeah, and not really looking for it either. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was taught to just never, ever bring it up. He's toxic masculinity, isn't he? And this is where it leads to. so many ways, yeah. Being entirely isolated. Whereas uh, when we meet Palpatine in Darth Plagueis, he's literally, I think, having a conversation with someone he doesn't know as Darth Plagueis. He's like a teenager who's already decided that morality is for the stupid that can't think for themselves. 
Yeah, if anything sounds like Chibi, that does. <laughs> I just wonder how many got into an Anne Rand class on the boo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. It was before it was deleted from the Jedi archives. Or <laughs> At this point, I want to get final thoughts from the four of you on like one sort of bond mod for creating a character for that you can inhabit. I'm going to name What's a character bond mod, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very Star Wars. <laughs> Sorry, I'm done. I'll go away again. No, no. You can answer now that you spoke up. Yeah. It's a trap! <laughs> it was. <laughs> but you triggered my trap card. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, just know what you're getting into. If you're going into a campaign, if you're going into something that's going to be silly, you have an idea of your springboard. Communicate. Always communicate. Mm-hmm. I'd say remember that you're going to spend a lot of time with this character and in this character's headspace. So make sure that the character that you make is someone that you're either willing to or enjoy being with in a weirdly intimate like level for a long time. <laughs> I would say um, don't just plan what a character is going to be. Don't uh, let's say, for example, you want to be the world's greatest wizard. Then that's great. That's a good good plan. But also plan what's going to happen when it's not necessarily going to go your way. So you can react to the uh, the conflict that you get. Um, as I say, plan out a death scene. Plan out how your character will will end satisfactorily. It, it's a lot of fun. It takes all the pressure off dying. <laughs> I am going to consider that as a as a method now. Just so you know. I know how all of my characters in Force Majeure are going to die, and I'm just trying to get Adam to agree with me. <laughs> Just just plan out your Octo Blue Milk scene way in advance. <laughs> That's nice. the first thing I plan. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, George Lucas sat down to write Luke Skywalker and he's like, this guy's going to be drinking blue milk and I'm going to put a reference to it in the first movie. Oh, no, I do it the other way around. I, I kind of go, right, what, what, what am I going to throw in that's just the patrons? Because there's no way we can broadcast this properly to the wider world. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That is perfect. Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm going to fly against everyone. And just go. Um, do not plan. Simply be. <laughs> it sounds wise. Who knows? Maybe it is. I just imagine <laughs> you putting on a helmet and then dropping the blast shield and grabbing a pen and a paper. <laughs> Put the blast shield Adam, down. Adam, I this can't isn't even a character. Never mind. This is, a character sheet. This is a scribble on a book about psychology. It, it just says space bees, and it's been circled four times. <laughs> and why is there this strange spider-shaped blot? <laughs> yeah, no, just fi find a hook that you're going to enjoy playing. Make sure it's a hook that other people enjoy playing alongside. And um, go into it to have fun. And if that means changing your vision, because it stops being fun, then... Um, don't be afraid to change your vision and don't be too precious about that vision either. Yeah, don't be too precious to, to change that along the way if your original um, one doesn't fit anymore. We're all here to have some fun, roll some dice and vex some GMs. So as long <laughs> as we keep those maxims in mind. <laughs> so basically, be uh, non-permanent modeling clay, not Play-Doh. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll dry out and throw fall apart. One more thought that just came to me while we were sitting here. Mm hmm. Also, as you're creating a character, try to avoid making someone who is only interesting as long as they are the center of all attention. Oh mm -hmm. yes, because you're in a group and you you can't be the center of attention all the time. So if your character is only interesting when they are driving every eye onto them, you're going to either have a character who remains boring because you surrender the time to other people, but your character concept can't support it, or you will be the guy who refuses to let anyone else have the spotlight just because you want your character to shine. Exactly. That being said, also don't be afraid of taking the spotlight. Yes. 
know yourself well enough to know which one of the two you need to know, to work on. Yeah. All right. Who said a jungle planet? I don't know if I can stand it here in the sand. I, I don't know. I'm just going to melt. Uh, at least there's going to be some good hunting. I'm not so sure about the hunting. There's something about that protocol droid Barker that's giving me concern. I think I'm going to stay here with some unpronounceable cocktails and enjoy the time off. Agreed. I'm staying here and drinking until all of the cocktails are unpronounceable. Uh, the heat's a lot more tolerable with a block of hoth ice for a chair. Hey, grab me one of those cocktails, will you? I'll slice off a bit of chair and cool them all down. All right, my friends and shipmates, I have restocked the mints and the biscuits, and I come bearing pizza. The delivery guy winked at me, didn't accept payment, and handed me this note for you, though, Ben. Do you know a Volk? Volk! Join us next time on a memorable tale from the Hydean Way. We can be found on Twitter at the Hydean Way, and I'm at Deuterium Ice. You can find me, Adam, at Madame Beltane. I'm at Lesla GS. You can find me, Mikey, at Private Weasel, and also Adam and I at Force Majeure Pod. You can find me at AKA Agent Shades, uh, and you can also find me on our new podcast, uh, Legends of the New Republic, which is a Star Wars book club podcast reading Legends novels set Nerd. after uh, Return of the Jedi. We are all at thehydeanway.com, where you can find previous episodes, links to things we talk about on the show, and our live play podcast, Heroes of the Hydean Way. Oh no, I got this one again. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Plus, you can help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. Drop us a hot comment, tales at thehydeanway.com, and we're also on Facebook as Tales from the Hydean Way. If you like what we do and you want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash thehydeanway. Or give us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash thehydeanway. Uh, and secret. Uh, oh, should I not? Yeah, should I not use priest up? Is it too colloquial? Are no, I know exactly word? what you said. It's just kind of a gross phrase. <laughs> oh, it's because I it's because I lean forward, chuckling, and, and I. I and, know and, what I I understand. <laughs> just the word priest was very specific with the language. Go back to your conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so here. <laughs>